I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. What I'm seeing these days is that when you couple the standard American diet that we sort of all grew up on with the lack of movement and almost this cortisol-induced, stress-induced state that our kids are living in, the foods are having a much different impact than they did when we were kids. And I think it's important to start in the home what type of family are you? Are, you know, are, what, what types of food are in the home? What is the healthy home environment? You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 165. Today, we're talking about kids' healthy eating and body image with Eliza Kingsford. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Program, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome back. So glad you are here on this lovely morning. It is here anyway. I'm so glad to be in your ears and welcome, welcome, welcome if you are new. So cool. Thanks for for popping in and and checking out the podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Eliza Kingsford, and she's a licensed psychotherapist, and she's the founder of Empowered Wellness a company that provides sustainable solutions for creating food, freedom, and better body image. And you're going to hear about how she runs this amazing camp for kids. And this is just such a powerful conversation. I think it's really important, right? Mindfulness and mindful living has affects every part of our lives, right? If we are unhealthy in our bodies, if we're putting 
junk in our bodies and not feeling good in our bodies, that really, it affects the mind. It really even get frustrated in the fact that we ha I have to separate body and mind because they're not separate. They really, really affect each other. And, you know, we're going to talk about how a huge number of kids today are hooked on processed foods and how it has an impact on their systems and their body image. And I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. And here are some of the takeaways that I really want you to listen for. So we're not fueling our bodies in a loving and compassionate way is was a big one for me talking to Eliza. You're going to hear how when kids are hooked on hyper palatable foods, it's actually neurologically harder for them to make good decisions. This was really eye opening for me. And I want you to listen for the how Eliza gives some amazing tips on how to give kids autonomy in eating while helping them pay attention to their fullness cues. So a healthy way of doing it themselves and making sure that we're not giving them body image issues. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about a couple things. And before I do that, I want to thank you for some iTunes reviews. Thank you so much to Evolving Jen and Heather Yvonne for your five-star reviews. Thank you. That makes a huge difference to me, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And before we dive into this conversation, I want to let you know that coming up very soon, I am doing a free live training and I think it starts like next week from when this comes out. Anyway, it's May 6th through 9th, 2019, if you're listening to this in real time, and it is the Unmartyr Yourself training. And this is a really valuable training to so many people. And this is for you if you have trouble getting your needs met, if you have trouble talking to your partner, we're going to be talking about that. And this is about how to get your needs met and have great relationships, but without being selfish. And this is a really, really powerful training. I'll be with you live for four days every day. We'll record it if you can't make it for a few days, but I really encourage you to check it out and join us. It'll be a great, great time. And that's May 6th through 9th. And you can join at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr, spell unmartyr, U-N, M-A-R-T-Y-R. -R. Or you can just go to the events page on my website and you'll find it there. All right. Now on to this episode. Eliza, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Mindfulness, my favorite thing. Yay. Yay. Cool. And yeah, we were just talking about how you are in a city that I love that one can buy or get a popcorn on the, <laughs> on the street in Boulder, Colorado. It is they, true. They have great donuts there. Speaking of they things do. you can eat, they have great donuts in Boulder. They have great donuts. Yeah. <laughs> on the Pearl Street Farmer's Market, they've got great donuts, believe it or not. Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a dear friend who lives in Boulder and she's like has donut Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so you work with uh, girls with body image and with healthy weight loss and all these different things. And I want to talk to you about all of these things, but I'm, I'm curious about how you got into this work. Is this something that was something you struggled with in your own life, like as a young person? Like what mm. drew you to studying this, this, this line of inquiry? Yeah. Yeah, good question. And you hit it. I struggled in my youth and adolescence, especially to try and understand 
how to appropriately manage my weight. I have some obesity in my family and I found that I began to become really self-conscious and struggle with my weight in high school. And I, I just didn't know the appropriate way to be healthy. And I didn't struggle with an eating disorder necessarily. And I wasn't overtly heavy, but I started to become preoccupied with my body and with making appropriate food choices and, and being healthy. And I was an athlete my whole life. You would have looked at me and never would have thought that I was struggling with those things that I was. Internally, I was struggling. I wasn't terribly comfortable. And I looked to food and exercise to fix that. And yet I knew internally there was something else. I knew that there was a subconscious driver in me that, that was saying, maybe this isn't the way. And so as I really gravitated towards studying psychology and, and going to grad school, I gravitated more towards eating disorder behaviors, disordered eating behaviors, partially because I was really starting to understand myself and the psychology behind what I was struggling with. So that's how that passion developed and it, and it grew and grew over time into working with teens and young adults who are struggling with body image and weight management and, and what to do about food and body. Yeah. I mean, you could probably tell me the statistic about how many people struggle with it, but it, it seems like it must be an amazing number because mm. it just seems like such a common way that we, you know, it's one of those ways that we try to avoid feeling our difficult feelings, right? Like I know yeah. that when I was a young person, I mean, I'm luckily and blessed to have a pretty thin, healthy body, right? But, you know, I remember being in college and just binging is what you would call it. But yeah. you look yeah. at me and think that I, I would, I mean, not that I don't think I had a big problem, but it was something like I would, I would binge on like a bunch of cookies if I had it at a terrible day and I would just eat like a right. bunch of cookies and I'd feel gross and disgusting after it. And then right. the next day I would go for a little, I would go for a longer run or something like that. And right. I really was addicted to sugar, you know, and things like that. But I generally did some healthy behaviors too. And for, you know, I don't know, for me, it was actually like kind of very slowly and gradually, I think through yoga and mindfulness that I, it wasn't even an ever an intention, but I just started to eat in ways that felt better because I was sure wanted to, I don't know, I didn't want to numb so much anymore, but is it's something we do to numb, right? Isn't that what, what yes. that comes from? Yeah, it is. Well, and sometimes, well, sometimes it's to numb and sometimes it's to feel, you know, it, yeah. it, it both, both are true and it's often non-conscious, especially to start with. Um, it, it's, it's habit, it's boredom, it's stress. And you said it a minute ago, it's really, really common. We all have some type of relationship with food. For some people, it's not problematic at all. And for some people, it's sort of that linear scale that it becomes really, really problematic and food becomes the only coping mechanism or such an overt coping mechanism. And it sounds like your biology supported some binging behaviors and it didn't have a um, problematic effect. Some people's biology when people engage in those binging behaviors, it is very problematic for them because of their genetic makeup and their genetic predisposition. And it's not as if people who are struggling with weight are um, doing something so differently than anybody else. It's just that they have this combination of a biology that doesn't support that type of behavior. Um, there's sort of 
less room for error, if you will, and and it becomes problematic for them. And then it becomes this, like you said, when you were saying you were addicted to sugar, um, it becomes a, a, a behavior that gets away from them without them really even noticing it, right? It becomes, well, now I can't stop eating this sugar. At first I ate it because it made me feel good a little bit. Well, now I just can't stop. And this is where I start to see people is, is they're in a lot of pain and they can't figure out how to stop the behaviors that have, that have kind of gotten out of control in their words, right? Yeah, yeah. So is this something that was part of your own journey? Did you have struggle with, you know, anorexia or binging or, or some of the, I mean, those are, of course, the things that I think of. I don't have sure. a deep knowledge of them. I'm sure, sure there's other things. Is that something that you struggled with? I didn't. I didn't struggle with anorexia, bulimia, or binge eating disorder or binge eating behaviors. But I did struggle a lot with being comfortable in my body. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about my struggle was that on the outside, there wasn't anything visible to discern that. I wasn't overweight. I wasn't underweight. I was a pretty healthy and, and normal adolescent and young adult. And yet internally, I struggled with this distorted body image that was really, really painful and really impacted a lot of areas of my life. And that's where I became really passionate about helping people understand that nobody's body shape or size is an indicator of how they are relating to themselves internally, emotionally, right? You can't look at someone and say, oh, she must feel good about herself or, oh, she must feel bad about herself. There are people who are of all shapes and sizes that internally are not struggling with body image issues. And that's what I found so fascinating is that people of all shapes and sizes struggle with a disordered body image. Thankfully, I feel happy to say that that's many years behind me now. Um, But it it was a process. It was a process to be able to untangle my relationship to food and my body as a indicator of my self worth. Do you put yourself last? Do you feel guilty for taking care of yourself or going to the gym or making time for meditation? It's time to let go of this harmful mommy martyr mindset. It's time to reclaim your time, your sanity, and the energy that you bring to the world and your family. I'm so excited to let you know that I'm offering a free live training called the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge. And over four days, you're going to learn to make time for yourself, speak your truth skillfully, destroy mommy guilt, and improve your relationships and thrive without ever being selfish. So I hope you'll join us. It's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr, U-N-M-A-R-T-Y-R. As soon as you sign up, you'll get instant access to the Unmartyr Yourself self-care assessment. It's a powerful, eye-opening exercise where you'll assess your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and relationship needs. Join the Unmartyr Yourself challenge now at mindfulmamamentor.com unmartyr. I can't wait to see you there. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. 
They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat, no sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Midi care is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. Hmm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, like, yeah, you know, so many, I'm sure the listener is like saying yes, yes, and relating <laughs> to like everything you're saying. I mean, now that I, I feel like I have a healthy relationship with food, but like I know our culture is, is is problematic and i also know that like as human beings we didn't evolve to have like this incredible bonus of sugar on every Mm -hmm. single corner Mm -hmm. and like be shoved at us constantly for every single holiday Mm -hmm. and and all of these things so and then i guess there's the it's just being able to see everyone too you know sometimes i think back to you know i like to kind of think evolutionarily like what was normal for us like maybe it was (laughs) normal for us to know a hundred people max in our life. And, you know, when that tribe of a hundred people, you might've been the one, you know, with the the prettiest eyes or the fastest runner or whatever, you know, and, and now we just, that comparison brain goes on to everybody. So I'm sure some of these things. So, but what are some of the, the things that are causing this? Like so many people dealing with this, what are, what are some of the, the, the stressors and problems with that are causing it? Well, you certainly hit on two you know, two big ones. There's this interesting convergence of our biology right now with our modern food system and, you know, modern food environment where to put it really simply and not getting too deep in the, in the weeds of the science, but we have unnaturally manufactured all of our food at this point. You know, I mean, if you, if you are eating a nutrient dense whole food diet, just meaning the foods that you eat are nutrient dense whole foods. You're sort of going against the norm, aren't you? I mean, yeah. everything in the grocery store that the hundreds of it's, it's something like 150,000 different products or something are at the grocery store, and they're packaged and they're processed, and they're we put these macronutrients unnaturally together, right? 
when you think about it, I'll try not to go too deep here in the science, but when you think about it, fat and carbohydrates don't naturally occur together in nature. They don't. Mm-hmm. We, we put them together unnaturally. And that happened really swiftly over the past 50 years or so. We had this huge explosion of agriculture and, and new foods introduced to our food environment you know, without really knowing the impact of, of what that would do to our biologies. And so when I'm talking to young adults about being hooked on processed foods, because they are, they say, when they talk to me about what their diet is comprised of, you know, it is, it's juice and cereals and breads and cereal bars and, and protein bars and, and all of these foods that, you know, don't really occur naturally in nature. And when we do that, we're putting things unnaturally together and it has an impact on our system. It has an impact on our hormonal system. It has an impact on our frontal lobe and our ability to make good decisions. It has an impact on our brain chemistry. When you were talking earlier about being addicted to sugar, you know, there's some argument out there about whether or not it's actually a food addiction. But what you're referencing is the dopamine release that we get when we have sugar intake and processed food, really hyper palatable food intake. So that's a big problem. Yeah. And it has created a large challenge for people to more naturally and easily maintain a healthy weight. When you are on processed foods, like I call it, it's really difficult to, it presents a challenge to maintain a healthy weight. Yeah. Well, so there's that. So that's a, that's a large barrier. And, and, and it wasn't a anticipated outcome of our modern food industry. And we, and then, we think those things are so wholesome, right? Like, like yeah. as a family, like we watch the Great British Baking Show and we love like watching them make all these cakes. And then I watch them eat that and I'm like, oh my God, they must feel sick after tasting all these different things. Mm-hmm. But it's like an endearment sugar, you know, oh, sweetie. And, uh, you know, yeah. like, this, like the, we, there's a real wholesome kind of sure. vibe attached to all of that for us. And it is really, really going against the grain to say, hmm, you know, there's a problem with, with this. There's a, there's a problem with so much of this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's going against the grain now. I mean, it, it's, if you were to just kind of mindlessly walk through life and eat when it's convenient and eat on the run, like we all do, right? And grab and go, like, like is common now because that's the way, that's the pace of our lives. It's, it, we're, we're pretty much set up to be overweight. It's an obesogenic culture that we live in, you know, because of the processing, because of the overconsumption of calories and, and I won't harp on it, but, but we are, it's going against the grain to try and slow down and eat mindfully and eat this sort of nutrient dense whole food diet is, is actually now going against the grain. Whereas 60, 70, 80 years ago, that was more just what we did. It's not to say we didn't have ice cream or we didn't have cake, but it wasn't as pervasive in our diet, nor was it as accessible as it is now, which makes it just readily consumed, right? Yeah, it was a treat. It was, it was a treat. I want- <laughs> It really was a treat. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, when you think about like Little House on the Prairie, you might read, you you have a young daughter, you might be reading, actually, you might be right at the age where you're reading Little House on the Prairie, right? Because she's six. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at Christmas, 
and like they get this one stick of candy and they are like, yeah. oh my God. And it's so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> no, you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, it is. It's a different time. It was, you know, and it, and it's cherished and there's something sweet about it and it, and it really is a treat. And when you used to bake a cake for a birthday cake, I mean, it was a big deal. And the flour was different flour that came from a different place and was manufactured differently. And the eggs, you know, were at your local farmer's market because there wasn't these massive grocery stores. I mean, it was just different. Yeah. Uh, so it's not that those things weren't around. It's just the access to them and the, and the way that they're manufactured are totally different than, than they are now. And our kids are growing up in this modern food environment where it's pretty natural and normal for them to consume things that, you know, really aren't even food. Right. And that's what they think. That's what they feel like is normal. And yet as that normal shifts, so does what we perceive as normal for a healthy body weight. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of parents that come and talk to me about, well, you know, my kid is so uncomfortable in their body and so uncomfortable in this weight, but I got to tell you, so is everybody else, right? And so are the rest of the kids in their classroom. And so he or she is not any less uncomfortable about it, but at least not any less uncomfortable about it, but they see themselves in the other kids. And that's both problematic and great. Number one, it's great. You don't want any kid to be uncomfortable. You don't want any kid to feel ostracized or uncomfortable in their skin. And yet we have also pushed out what is normal for a healthy body weight, right? We have said, Mm -hmm. okay, now that the majority of our country is, are living in, in larger bodies, well, we're just going to put out, we're going to push out what's normal and, and make it, make it bigger. I mean, that's, that's what's happening in some of the medical guidelines. Wow. And, and I, yeah. I want you, I don't want to distract you too much for getting to that, for getting to that second barrier that you were talking about, but that has big implications, doesn't it? I mean, like to it have does. a heavier body weight. I mean, you know, as for me as a parent of girls, I know that it can start your period earlier, right? Mm-hmm. It can start mm-hmm. development earlier, all of those things. And so this is like a social, emotional impact. It's, it's mm-hmm. enormous. It is. And and I do have a pin in the other piece that you that you had mentioned, which was certainly the comparison. And I think it's so important to get to that. But also, I get a decent amount of flack, as you can imagine, for even venturing to talk about children and their body weights and even implying that perhaps we should pay attention to them. I, I think you can imagine there, there, there are some folks who disagree with that. And yet, the kids and the families that I see are saying... I don't feel comfortable in this body. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like I can move freely. I don't feel like emotionally I'm comfortable. And I know that the patterns that I'm engaging in don't feel good. Just like you talked about earlier about when you were in college and you were eating the food and you, and it, you didn't feel good, right? You, you'd binge yeah. on something and you'd wake up the next day and you'd feel sort of emotionally terrible and physically terrible. Mm-hmm. My argument is, we're not fueling our bodies in a loving and compassionate way. You talk about you know, self-compassion mm. and, and mindfulness. We're not being mindful and fueling our bodies in a loving and compassionate way when what we're doing is overfeeding it, number one, and then feeding it all of these processed hyperpalatable foods that we sort of have to shovel in so fast because we can't get enough of. You can mm. even tell as I describe that that's not loving and compassionate mm. and connected to the body, right? 
So when I talk about, and when I talk with teenagers and young adults about healthy nutrition and how, but how do I fuel myself? It is all about getting connected to that mindful part of you that sort of intuitively knows whether or not this feels loving and compassionate or whether or not this feels sort of destructive and frantic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine part of it is just even just feeling in our body, right? Like so many of us don't even seem to recognize that we have bodies, like we're just (laughs) minds that are walking around. Mm -hmm. And to even notice the sensations in our body, you know, it's interesting to like, I think about my own journey with that and that I, I really definitely was like addicted to sugar, man. And I, then I tried to do like Mm. a healthy thing and just eat like raisins and stand at my poor husband, like find raisins (laughs) on the couch it's like, you have a raisin problem. <laughs> and then, and you know, it was really through mindfulness and being able to kind of sit with my body that, you know, mm-hmm. I really feel a sense of like, you know, a big change in the way I eat now. Like I, I kind of looking back over the number of years, like I can eat and not fill all the way up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, right. and I'm, comfortable and okay with the feeling mm-hmm. and not something that puts me into a panic where I could really recognize that when I was a younger person to not be all the way full would really kind of make me feel like oh, this is so wrong and I mm. it was horrible it's really interesting to kind of notice mm. these things I think it is and it certainly it sort of becomes I don't know if it's easier, but you know, our brains are more ready for those, that level of mindfulness as we get older, Yeah, but kids can do it too. I mean, I'm sure you do it with your daughters, the practicing mindfulness and, and practicing slowing down. And I guess to take it full circle to what we were talking about with comparison, um, the other big factor of this, it goes right along with it. Our kids ourselves, we're all overstimulated, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, it's this constant it's constant stimulation. There's constant information overload, especially in our young people. It is comparison overload. And, you know, think about being a young person who already feels uncomfortable in their body and is sending these unconscious messages over and over and over to themselves, not thinking about it. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I wish I looked like this. I wish I didn't have that. That happens on autopilot. And then they go on social media platforms and things and, and their subconscious pulls in information to affirm what they believe about themselves. So it's this scrolling in constant comparison of, I don't live up to her. I don't live up to him. I don't live up to her. I don't live up to him. And here are all the ways that I'm going to prove it to myself that I don't live up to these people. And that is a constant overload of negativity on the brain which then, of course, makes you feel uncomfortable. And there's sort of, you can sort of picture them mindlessly snacking and eating to try and soothe or numb that emotion that's on constant overload. And it's just this hamster wheel that they get stuck on, you know? 
Yeah, it's like a negative spiral. And it's interesting because it is something like our our natural negativity bias, right? Mm-hmm. We naturally have a propensity to, it was much more important for us to pay attention to the negative, to know exactly. where was yeah. that poisonous berry that made me right. sick. It was like a hundred million times more important to remember where that was than it was right. to notice the positive thing, right? So it takes that natural negativity spiral and then it kind of keeps going with it you know, in some ways to think about the cause. And then I guess there's our own upbringing and, you know, in the model we see in our parents and in our family and our culture and what those, those are too. I, I, I love my mom so much, but I remember she, it was a strong memory for me that I, I saw her in the mirror saying that she's so ugly to herself Mm, and and really, and then Mm I, I did that. I did that same thing, you know, and it was just like, oh gosh, you know, just what a a hurt that just, and a wound that kind of gets passed on that, that, you know, I guess there's so many different sources in some ways. There are, and oh man, you bring up something that I try to emphasize so powerfully, especially with mothers. And I think people don't, well, I, I know people aren't always consciously aware of it, but not only is it the way that we talk to ourselves and our own bodies, right? Our, our kids are always watching and listening what we're saying, and, and it's really important to be mindful of that. But also the way we talk about other people's bodies, mm. right? So if you are constantly making a comment about someone else's appearance, whether it's good or bad, right? Even if you're, even if you're commenting on how beautiful someone is all the time or how thin they are or how you know, look how great her arms look or look how beautiful that she is. Even if you think you're saying something positive, we're reinforcing the message that that is what's important to you, Mm. right? You're saying, these are my values. This is what's important to me. Someone's appearance, their beauty, you know, their either body, their body shape, thinness or fatness doesn't matter. Um, It is reinforcing the message to the child. Oh, this is what's important to my mom or to my dad. And so I just encourage parents to be mindful of, sure, we can comment on someone's appearance. That's, that's okay. To, it, it's, it's okay to be honest and say, wow, I, I, I really think this, this woman looks beautiful. But that should, that should come as, you know, sort of almost an afterthought, right? As a, oh, I just noticed how beautiful that woman looks. Rather, wow, this is where my focus is. This is what's so important to me. And, and just be aware of how often you comment on someone's appearance in general. I try really hard with my daughter. She's six, you know, she, she's starting to come into that age where she's thinking about appearance and we've done, we've made an effort to be really cognizant about how often we comment on someone's appearance, which is not very often, but we were watching the Oscars for a minute the other night and I commented on someone's dress, right? Oh, that dress is so beautiful. Or look, it brings out the colors of her eyes or something where she must mm-hmm. have spent a long time on that hairdo or something like that, that, that is commenting on my thoughts of that beauty, but not giving the impression that, that the beauty is my value or standard for measurement, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Kind of just, I like what you are inviting the listener to do, which is to kind of take some time to be conscious of how often you comment on appearance. And sometimes just the act of noticing or noting how often one comments on it, you know, that can be like a bell of mindfulness kind of showing Mm -hmm. you what 
revealing a part of yourself to you like, oh, is this the thing that is most important? And that it may just be a habit energy from leftover from your parents and, you know, things like that. So it may be something that we want to kind of want to consciously interrupt and and start to just see people. Wow. Yeah. There's so much here. Oh my goodness. It's so big, isn't it? I know. It's so so big. So going back to healthy kids, healthy girls, you know, we've got all these things stacked against us. We've got, you know, Valentine's Day and Easter turned into Halloween and and we've got this social media world and we've got all these things. What are some of the things we can do to raise children to to have healthier eating habits and healthier relationship with food and and in in general? You know, because this seems like we're kind of moving against the tide, but I imagine there's a middle path here, right? I imagine it's not we don't want to be super strict about things and we want to let them have some autonomy, but imagine there might also be a place for, you know, instructing and, and teaching about this is the way our culture of food culture is. So tell us a little more about this, Eliza. Yeah, that is a very big question, (laughs) (laughs) but I do think there is, well, first of all, I want to say that there is a balance. There is, there is a middle ground But it's also important to, I think, honor when your your child is is struggling with their with their body weight and shape and being able to help them in a compassionate way, tease through that and figure it out. But if we're just talking about kids in general and you know, kids are kids and and hopefully they're moving and, and hopefully they're they're enjoying their lives. No, we don't, we don't want to impose this strict or rigid regimented food system in the home or exercise regime in the home that will then bring with it a whole host of other problems. However, in our modern food environment, I do think it's important to be mindful of what types of foods are in the home and just be aware of your child's biological uh, reaction to those foods. So here's what I mean. Some of the things that I grew up on, right? Like I grew up on country crock, right? Do you know country crock? <laughs> the yeah. margarine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up on I, margarine. Right? I grew up on this like margarine, this country crock. And I mean, it was cereal and orange juice and, and pretty typical American diet, standard American diet stuff at the time. And what's interesting though, is that I was also a really active kid we were always in sports and athletics and swimming and skiing and, and, you know, all kinds of things that helped regulate what was happening in my biology. We were outside all the time. We were playing all the time. So that type of food did not have an impact on, on any of, of my siblings. What I'm seeing these days is that when you couple the standard American diet um, that we sort of all grew up on with the lack of movement and almost this cortisol-induced, stress-induced state that our kids are living in, the foods are having a much different impact than they did when we were kids. And I think it's important to start in the home. What type of family are you? Are, you know, are, what, what types of food are in the home? What is the healthy home environment? And a gal that I, that I really like to listen to, Food Freedom Body Love, she talks about staying in your lane as a parent. And as a parent, 
the kids have their own lane and the parents have a lane and the lane for the parent is the what, the when, and the how of the food, meaning what food is in the home? When do you eat it? Is it, you know, morning, noon, and night? And how do you eat it? Is it, you know, microwaved? Is it out of the servings? Is it on the table? Mm. Whatever. The what, when, and how is the parent's lane. The how much and the if is the Mm. kid's lane. Meaning they get to decide how much food they want to eat and if they're going to eat it. Mm. And if we all stay in our own lanes, then in theory, the kids are going to grow up having some variety of food and understand about hunger and fullness cues and food choices. What we don't want to do is tell them how much they have to eat or not eat and that they have to eat these vegetables all the time, which I think is really, really hard for parents. They're going, mm. you know, oh, my kid has to eat their vegetables and, and they can't have seconds or they have to eat everything on their plate. And that's really hard for parents to let go uh, and stay in their lane. Our job is to say, here's what's provided for dinner. Hopefully it's a well-rounded balanced meal. Ideally, if you're asking me, it's nutrient-dense whole foods, right? Mm. Hopefully you're staying away from processed foods, added sugars, you know, the, the, the microwavable meals, um, so that what is offered on the table as much as we possibly can, I get it, we're busy, is nutrient-dense whole foods. And then the kids get to decide how much of it and if they're going to eat it. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. This is, this is you, my husband would be so excited to hear you say this because that's what he was like, he figured out one time, or he must've heard that work, you know, like, you know, we decide 
what and when and and they get to decide if and how much. And that was something kind of we went with, but we also had we I guess we kind of balanced it with I remember I I think I was inspired by reading uh, bringing up Bebe, which is this, mm-hmm. this book about raising kids in a French culture, which I thought was interesting. And and we ha- a rule that we took from there was you don't have to eat it, but you must taste it. Mm-hmm. And because we want yep. to, because things that are good for us, like broccoli, for instance, like it, it actually takes time for our palate yes. to develop a taste for those things. So we just wanted them. I just, it was important to me for them to develop their palate so they could yep. go and they could eat lots of different things. So yeah. I agree so, with um, that. I agree with that. I think that, and, and we do that as well. I think the overarching, right, stay in your lanes, but things like that, you mm. don't have to eat it, but, but taste it is very different than, you know, you won't get up from this table until you finish your vegetables, which oh my God, I, I, I grew up that way. Right. That too. I remember like <laughs> with the table I was sitting at, yes. I was crying, I was yes. so miserable. I don't want to know. And so the, she, the vegetables were so like unpleasant. Like my mom boiled yep. uh, Brussels sprouts, like, or mm-hmm. steamed summer squash with nothing on it, but butter and salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. I love you, mom. And mm-hmm. <laughs> mom's a listener. So I wanted to tell her that, mm-hmm. but I remember just <laughs> thinking like this is just slime and anyway (laughs) yeah and we don't and and it's not and we know now it's not that helpful right that the that serving of brussels sprouts that then gave you you know some cortisol response stress response sitting at the table for an hour and all this traumatic feelings that what that serving of brussels sprouts was actually not that nutritionally beneficial to you to (laughs) to make that to make that you know make you go through that um but yeah, I, I think this concept of, of having kids try it and keep trying it too, because their palates mm. change, right? Uh, and, and they keep changing, but what it's really allowing them to do is have autonomy and, and pay attention to their hunger and fullness cues. So one thing we've always done with my daughter is, you know, she gets to decide when she's done and I don't say you have to finish your plate or, um, you know, you need to eat more, you need to eat less. I ask her, do you feel like you've had enough? Are you finished? Do you feel full? Right. To get her to sort of check in with, well, do I, I, you know, let me, let me check in with myself. Let me check in and see if I, if I feel like I um, need more or need less in sort of facilitating that, that mindful connection. And then of course, you know, I have the parents saying, okay, but if I, if I allow her to just sort of choose whatever she wants, she's just going to eat dessert. And, and look, the truth is we do this, we do this with my daughter as well. She doesn't get to sort of skip over all of the, the nutrient dense whole foods and go straight to dessert. If she wants dessert, then, you know, we need to keep trying the things that are on the plate and then, you know, we can, we can have that afterwards. There are still rules, I, I should say, meaning you're still the parent, I guess, is, is what I want to say there. Um, yeah, yeah. Give them some autonomy, but have, have some of those, those boundaries. Would you recommend, I guess, having had my own experience with sugar and its powerful properties, I tried to keep, when my girls were babies, like I basically tried to keep them away from sugar for as long as I possibly could. So they both kind of joke about it now, like how for their first birthday, I gave them this like sugar-free fruit sweetened muffin with <laughs> on top. <laughs> <laughs> rather than uh, like a big cake or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they, they kind of joke about that now, but is that something that, you know, you, when, when you're encouraging these whole foods, you, you try to 
encourage parents to do? Well, I mean, think about it. Your daughters are one. The cake is, is not really for them, is it? I mean, it's for the parents who are taking the pictures of the kids, sticking their hand in the cake and smearing it on their face. Right. I mean, that's who that's for because your one-year-old does not have this desire for a birthday cake. It's so, so you fed her a muffin, a, a fruit sweetened muffin. Yeah. That's up to you. That's your choice. That goes back to your lane. That was what you, that's what was important to you in your home. And I think that that is, is just fine. Um, the only caution I make to parents is to get really rigid one way or the other. Um, so while nutrient dense whole foods is my preference as well, um, making sure that there is exposure to sugar and to some degree, you know, some snacky foods or things like that. Even if you decide that you're always buying the, I don't know, Annie's organic bunnies versus goldfish or something like that, that's fine. Your child will have exposure to, to hyperpalatable foods and sugar. And when it becomes such a big deal, right? When it becomes, Mm -hmm. we can't have that, or we don't eat that, or that's bad for you. Or I'll tell you my, my Cheeto story. I've been saying this for a while, but then of course you have your own daughter and everything goes out the window. And my grandmother, bless her, was it, she's, you know, sort of in, in, in a, in her nursing home and my grandmother. And so my daughter came to visit and her great grandmother and her, you know, her showing of love was to have a bunch of snacks for my daughter. And one of those snacks was Cheetos. And my daughter had never seen Cheetos before. And I was sort of cringing, you know, Cheetos are not my choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, she ate them and was saying, you know, mom doesn't let me have these mom doesn't let me have these. And I, she had at, been asking for Cheetos and I kept saying, you know, we're not having Cheetos. It's junk food. It's not food. And she would not let these Cheetos go. I mean, for a year, she asked me if, if she could have Cheetos and it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to stop. I need to let this go because Cheetos has become this thing in her brain because I told her she couldn't have them and I sort of demonized them and I didn't mean to. And I let it go and I said, you know what? Next time we see Cheetos, you're welcome to have them. And I made good on that promise. And I bought her the bag of Cheetos. And it was gone. That was it. Cheetos weren't a thing after that for her. Once I let it go, she let it go. And I, and I say that just to say, we don't want to demonize things either because that sends a message to our little kids' brains. Oh man, you know, it it makes them hyper-focused on something that really should just be um, neutral. Right. And so for us, it's more like, it's not you can't have those. And it is, you know, we just, we don't keep those in the home. If you want to eat those at your friend's house, that's fine. And you know, doesn't, doesn't bother me. It doesn't mean I have to go out and keep Cheetos in my home. It just means I have to be careful about the food rules that I project onto her. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important message for, you know, anyone who's like very, very into nutrition that can be hard to, to do that. It's kind of like, it's almost like screen time, right? Like, cause we have all these hyper palatable foods and we have these intense sugar foods and things like that. But, and this is the world that we all live in and, and yeah. our children are going to live in. And so we can't yeah. just pretend that, that we don't live in that world That's and right. kind of act as if the outside world doesn't exist. It really, we really need to 
kind of also, I guess, model moderation and teach them moderation and uh, just exactly what you said, walk that, that middle path. So what happens when our children you know, who have started to struggle with body weight or whether they're younger or whether they're in their teens and things like that. How do you help them at that point? Yeah. So we really focus on helping them get connected to what behaviors produce positive emotions for them and helping them make the connection between when they engage in certain behaviors while it may taste good at the time and you know they're eating for pleasure in the moment that afterwards it doesn't actually make them feel good physically or emotionally and we start to form those connections early mm-hmm. uh, and then we start to talk about so when i get kids who are uncomfortable in their bodies they have they have made the the false connection that a certain number on the scale is going to produce a different feeling. Mm-hmm. And so we very quickly start to tease out that it's not the number on the scale that they're looking for. It's an emotion that they're looking for, right? They want to feel better. They want to feel confident. They want to feel worthy. They want to feel you know, loved, whatever it is. It's not the number they're looking for. It's an emotion they're looking for. So we start to tease that out and start to focus them back on, okay, what are the behaviors and consistent actions that you can take to move towards that feeling? Does the, you know, three slices of pizza that you're eating every other night in secret in your room make you feel closer to that feeling or further away? Oh, it makes you feel further away? Okay, let's tease through that. What do you notice are the behaviors that you engage in that get you closer to that feeling? And how do we do those more? Right. Um, mm, I love this. A, yeah. And as a side note, <laughs> when kids are hooked on processed foods and hyperpalatable foods, it is much more difficult for them to make decisions using the executive functioning part of their brain, which is the part of your brain that I'm sure you know helps you make good decisions. It's more difficult for them to access that part of their brain. It's, mm. it's like it's gotten hijacked. And so not only are they now engaging in food as sort of a numbing or coping mechanism, but also their brain is being hijacked and you've got the stimulation of ghrelin and you've got the suppression of leptin and all these hormones that help you notice when you're hungry and you're full and you've had enough. All these things are are going haywire and they can't make good decisions anymore. And so helping them get off the processed foods helps them think more clearly, helps them physically, emotionally, and mentally function better. Wow. So it's neurologically harder that for them to make good decisions when they're hooked Absolutely. on processed Wow. Yep. Hands down, 100%. It's neurologically more difficult for them to make better decisions for themselves. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And so you, you do like a camp, right? For kids that they go to and, and learn to, to, to do these, move towards the behaviors they're seeking and, and to, it sounds like it's like a lot of self-reflection and self-understanding and Mm -hmm. not a lot of burpees necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Yes, it is. We do. Yes. I, I run an immersion summer program for kids who can come. It's a camp environment. It's all the campy things. It's color war, it's field trips, it's bunks and excitement, right? 
but it's also a deep dive into behavioral methods and behavioral change and mindfulness. Like all of the kids do mindfulness and meditation and yoga and making that connection with a healthy relationship to food and body. And what are your barriers to success? And how do we systematically dismantle those and, and arm you with a new toolbox to go home and be more successful? And we, we do that in a full immersion camp environment. We also have a, a digital program that's coming out in two weeks for, for kids who can't get away for the summer. But it's so much more than, than burpees, like you say. I mean, it's actually not that helpful to teach a kid just how to move more. Um, we know that exercise... Long-term studies will show that exercise is, is sort of not that helpful for maintaining uh, maintaining your weight. It's it's really um, it's really a, more about the food and so much more about the social emotional side of things. Wow, wow, Eliza, I, I imagine that I could probably talk to you about this for a long time. There's so <laughs> much to pick apart. I mean, and and to understand about us. I mean, and I really like what you say on your website and your about page you talk about how this is a relationship that we have for our whole lives right because yeah. you know this is just part of this is so essential so it makes a lot of sense to to heal that relationship and start to un- understand that relationship and and I love that you're bringing mindfulness in this because like our self-condemnation is not helpful for learning and growing in any realm. So I know it's not helpful here either. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Mindfulness is a big, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure as you know, getting into the habit of mindfulness early is so important for these kiddos. And I think we set them up for success in so many areas later in their life when they can really understand the concept of mindfulness and how it can be useful to them. And really in any area, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you talk about it as well. It, it's so integral, especially in the, the pace of our lives and the overstimulation of all of our lives. We almost have to, we almost have to implement my, everybody, you know, has mm-hmm. to implement mindfulness in order to just um, be able to function at this baseline level of functioning. We have to figure out ways to slow down and become more mindful in our lives. So that's, that's one of the guiding and leading principles of what we do. Um, it's so impactful. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really enjoy talking to you. I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. <laughs> I'm you. sure that the listeners are really excited about the work that you're doing too. Where can they find out more about you and and all of this? Yeah, um, please do come to the website empoweredwellness.com or just elizakingsford.com. You can get there either way um, and come read more about what we do, our, our programs, our products. We're doing digital products now for kids who can't come away for the summer and adult digital products are coming out as well soon. All about changing relationship to food and body and how this is such a pervasive part of our lives. So come check us out. I'm on Eliza Kingsford Everywhere Social Yeah, I would love to connect with you. And I would love to connect with your readers, listeners, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. And thank you. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you for bringing this kind of compassionate light and this light of like understanding to something that, you know, can be so sort of wrought in shame and difficulty. And I, I really appreciate that, the voice that you're bringing to this. It's really nice. Well, thank you. That's really kind of you to say that means a lot. Thank you very much.
Thank you so much for listening. Don't you love Eliza's approach? I really, really love what she's doing. And this is, that's the whole idea about being loving and compassionate to our bodies. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and we can do this. We can get unhooked from these, the sugars and all those things kind of in a bit by bit way. It is, it is possible. Um, and then we just feel better, right? We have this one life. We want to live it in a beautiful, healthy way where we feel good and we're giving our best to the world, right? And that's why it's one of the reasons why I'm offering the Unmartyr Yourself training. I want to just remind you about that before we go. That's at, you can sign up for that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. And that is for you if you want to have great relationships and and get your own needs met, but without ever being selfish. And this is at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so glad to have connected with you this way. I have been, had the wonderful opportunity to be talking to a lot of the great, amazing mamas in this Mindful Mama tribe recently. And it's just makes me feel amazing that, that this medium of the podcast can reach we can reach each other in this really deep and wonderful way. So I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you, appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing and all of those things, but I just appreciate that connection. And I don't want you to know that you're not alone. You know, you're part of a growing community. We're over 20,000 strong. It's pretty amazing. So I just want to let you know I appreciate you and I'm just wishing you a beautiful week. Hope to see you in that Unmartyr Yourself training, but if not, just wishing you a beautiful week and wishing you some joy and some beautiful healthy food and feeling good in your body this week. All right. Namaste. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.